jubilation for Joe Biden. America celebrates as the former vice president becomes commander in chief. But after Donald Trump's tumultuous term, can Biden bring the country back together? I'm Maria Ramos and today's newsmaker is the 46th president of the United States. This was an inauguration like no other. Instead of thousands cheering on their new leader, Washington was calm, a far cry from two weeks ago when an armed mob stormed the Capitol. They were trying to block Biden's election victory, but failed. And on Wednesday, after being sworn in, the president declared democracy had prevailed and urged the country to unite. A difficult task after four years under Donald Trump. Well, the newly inaugurated President Biden started by reversing several of his predecessor's policies. But many challenges remain. The coronavirus runs rampant. The economy is in crisis. And the U.S., well, it appears more divided than it's been in decades. So after realizing a lifelong dream to become the president, how will Joe Biden turn his rhetoric into reality? Adam Pletz reports. So help you, God. So help me, God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. After more than 50 years in politics, 36 of them as a senator and eight as vice president to Barack Obama, Joseph Robinetta Biden Jr. has made it to the top office. The election may have been unorthodox, but the inauguration was steeped in tradition, except that COVID and security concerns saw the usual crowds replaced by a sea of 200,000 flags. Three former presidents attended, but not Donald Trump, the first incumbent to snub the ceremony in 150 years. He held a separate farewell, at which he finally wished the new administration great luck and success. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. And in his wake, as America turns a new page, Biden's overriding message was one of unity. And so today, at this time, in this place, let's start afresh, all of us. Let's begin to listen to one another again, hear one another, see one another, show respect to one another. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. He outlined his main priorities, tackling the coronavirus and the economic downturn it has caused, championing racial equality at home and addressing the global climate crisis. Within hours, he had signed more than a dozen executive orders in an attempt to undo the work of his predecessor. Chief among them were rejoining the Paris Climate Accords and reversing Trump's travel bans from Muslim-majority countries. In signaling his commitment to racial equality, Biden's cabinet picks are the most diverse in U.S. history. And his vice president, Kamala Harris, is not only the first woman, but also the first Asian and African-American to take this high in office. 
The president's first 100 days are likely to focus on domestic policy, but there was a nod to America's long-suffering allies that he has them in mind as he returns to multilateralism. So here's my message to those beyond our borders. America has been tested, and we've come out stronger for it. We will repair our alliances and engage with the world once again, not to meet yesterday's challenges, but today's and tomorrow's challenges. In an eerily quiet Washington, on Black Lives Matter Plaza, Biden's supporters gathered in small numbers, joyful and relieved. I, I felt I'm really glad that it went peacefully and, and that we kind of came through and calmed everything down. Just two weeks ago, Trump's supporters had stormed the Capitol. 25,000 National Guards were in place to make sure that didn't happen again. But Trump's shadow still looms large. The Senate will move to try him after his record second impeachment for inciting the mob that breached Congress. And while the trial could prevent him from a potential return to politics, it will also consume precious time as Biden tries to move forward with his agenda as quickly as possible. Adam Pletz, The Newsmakers. Right, let's cross over now to New York, where I'm joined by Nate Lerner. He's a democratic strategist and founder of the grassroots organization Build the Wave. In Washington, D.C., we have Adi Sati. He's a Republican strategist and a chief of staff for the Young Republicans National Federation. And Robert Gucci, Jr., is an expert in U.S. politics and a senior lecturer at Lancaster University in the U.K. Welcome, gentlemen, all three of you. Right, my first question, I want to put it to you, Adi. Um, it's such a difficult time for the country, but the word unity, that was the, the overarching theme of uh, President Biden's uh, inauguration speech. But can he really unite the country after four years of Donald Trump? Can the country really start afresh and come together, as Biden said? Well, first and foremost, uh, thank you so much for having me this morning. Uh, yesterday was a very uh, historic day in America, and a lot of people from both sides of the aisle did come together. You saw people from uh, both the House uh, representatives and the Senate, uh, Republicans and Democrats alike, uh, who came uh, and celebrated this moment. Uh, the crowd, of course, was not there the way that it usually is. Uh, and unity was discussed. Uh, however, I do think that there will be uh, a tough time for the Biden presidency, considering that he does have both the Senate and the House of Representatives. There will be a lot of pressure from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party to uh, have their agenda uh, be moved forward in a way that may not be able to be done uh, two years from now. And so I'm curious to see how the Biden presidency is able to deal with that and also to see if he's able to maintain his identity as a moderate as he uh, continues to present himself to be in order to unify the country. Nate, can the country unite? Well, honestly, that, that's really up to the Republicans at this point. Uh, as we saw in Joe Biden's inauguration address, he made it incredibly clear that he wants to turn the temperature down. He wants to make politics less of a fire and more of uh, what it originally was, which is and what it was supposed to be is a, a, a compromise where, to, where our nation works together to solve our problems. He has extended the olive branch to Republicans very, very clearly. The onus is now on them 
to take it up and work together to solve these problems. We've seen with the previous administrations, particularly with Obama, where Mitch McConnell clearly said he wanted to make him a one-term president and was going to do whatever it took to tank his policies, and even if it meant hurting the country. So it's up to Republicans if, you know, if Biden succeeds, that means the country does well, but it also means Biden does well. So which, which do they want? They need to recognize that uh, country needs to come before party, and they need to do what's best for America, not what's best for them politically. Robert. Well, uh, you know, not to be too metaphysical here, but I, I think we have to remember that the presidency is more than just uh, one person. It's certainly the people that are surrounding that individual in that in that office. And uh, for us to unite, uh, then we have to first come to identify and agree upon what the problems are. Uh, if we were to look at immigration, for instance, Barack Obama sure got away unscathed. Uh, for his uh, operations to to deport so many uh, folks from uh, the uh, from America, but also you know Donald Trump certainly did his uh, his damage in a lot more of a, of a of an overt fashion. But in both cases, there was an infrastructure of militarization and of industry and of hatred and xenophobia that allowed both presidents to operate, albeit differently, uh, in in a way that still um, causes problems for for many of the people uh, on on the ground in the United States. And so I think uh, unity is, is one thing, but coming together to understand what the actual problems are uh, is going to be really uh, the challenge for Americans and for, for politicians. And I want to ask a bit more on, you know, staying on, stay on that point, because uh, one media report uh, said the incoming administration's uh, business as usual uh, approach to governance is inevitably going to further energize the forces that swept Trump into power in the years to come. Um, Addy, would you agree? I think that the uh, base of the party, uh, including many of the 74 million people that did vote for uh, President Trump, many of them are still uh, feeling anxious. They're still not uh, happy with the outcome of the election. And I do think that Republicans are going to do what they can to win back the Senate and the House of Representatives, which is a very slim margin at this point, uh, when we look at the 2022 elections. Uh, also, you have the Virginia and uh, New Jersey governor's race in 2021. So people are already gearing up uh, for the political battles ahead. Uh, but when it comes to specifically legislating and uh, dealing with uh, the governing component of politics, which is, of course, very important. The Democrats, quite frankly, they don't need the Republicans. They can pretty much do whatever they want. And uh, they know that. And uh, the base of their party also knows that. And the base of the Republican Party is afraid of that. So I'm curious to see how that will affect turnout in the 2022 elections. Nate, do you think Democrats have learned uh, the lesson, the reason why there was that force that... Uh, swept Trump to power, or, or do they think that that would go away? <laughs> I don't think anyone's learned that lesson. Um, I, I think if we're still trying to figure out um, why 74 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. Um, I think we're still trying to figure out why Americans felt the economy was stronger than Donald Trump when it was really the same as it was under Obama after he, he led the recovery. Um, I think there's political bias is just driving our nation to this point where people don't see reality for what it is, they see what they want to see. Um, and you know, that, that's, that exists on both sides, unfortunately. And by Joe Biden has made it very clear that he wants to work from the middle. He wants to work with both sides of the aisle, progressives and, and the right. Um, he wants to do what's best for the country. 
And I think what's exciting, though, is he might have a traditional government in place, but it's one that's built on experience. It's one that's built on public service. And it's one that's actually going to get things done. It's one that is going to solve problems instead of creating them. It's one that's going to take on this pandemic rather than passing the buck on down to the states, which is absolutely absurd. And I think Americans are going to be surprised, actually, how much the federal government could have and should be, have been doing this whole time to address this pandemic with what Joe Biden has, has done. And we've seen how busy he's already been in his first day in office. Just wait till the next couple of weeks when he really starts taking on this pandemic in earnest and starts working to build our nation back better. I want to talk about uh, the pandemic in a moment, but uh, Robert, you've been nodding away there off camera. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are, are lots of lessons. And, and, you know, when I was watching uh, cable news yesterday uh, for, for the live uh, coverage, uh, two things occurred to me. One, uh, U.S. cable news, uh, of course, um, uh, one was the amount of praise and jubilation, I think was even the word that was used in the beginning of this uh, segment, where um, he, Joe Biden has been the media darling for a long time, for uh, even during the campaign, simply because he couldn't get his platform uh, out and very clear to folk because it was so focused on anti-Trump. Uh, so I, we don't really know what to expect from a, a Joe Biden presidency, certainly, and, and media uh, in, in the U.S. just seemed to be swooning uh, over Donald Trump being gone. That was the, that was the first thing. Uh, and the second thing that led me to have to switch between some channels uh, was the amount of, of just hatred it seems to be coming from media. And I've been a journalist my whole life. I teach uh, these things. I re research these things. But, uh, you know, we haven't learned a lesson uh, about how to to treat people who are maybe on, on the right, even if, uh, you know, some of that might be considered initially hate speech. And I'm not advocating for, for that, certainly. Um, but, you know, I think we need to learn uh, even what the images of 30, up, upwards of 30,000 troops on on the ground, handing over the presidency in, in, a, in a peaceful way, uh, what that might mean to middle America. Uh, it, it, does that even mean democracy to them? And I think we have to continue to listen. Um, uh, we're, we're in a, just a different stage uh, now going forward, and it's going to have to take uh, trying to go back and reflect on what happened uh, five years ago, uh, what people thought the Obama administration meant to them, and what their concerns are going forward on both sides of the aisle. And Robert, you said we don't know what to expect from a Biden presidency. Can you clarify that? Yeah, I mean, I, certainly he is talking about creating a, a better relationship with the international community. He's he's taken those steps, but but I think we haven't heard enough during the election about uh, who he would be as a, a president. What what are his takes uh, on uh, militarized police, for instance? Uh, what is his take? His final solution for the uh, health for healthcare? What what does he think about? Uh, immigration policies specifically, and I and I and I don't know that that's necessarily his fault. I think that the campaign just didn't allow for him to really have a more conventional, traditional way of setting forth his his platform. And so I think these first hundred days, which are always kind of the the test of a new administration, uh, we're going to see uh, if that you know, what Joe Biden's presidency will look like. He certainly made some stands on the first day, but he's got you know 99 more to go. Exactly. And, and let's talk about those next uh, 100 days, because he's been very busy today on his uh, first day. He signed a flurry of executive orders, um, many that really strike you know, at the heart of uh, Trump's policies. Um, but he has a lot of work to do in those 100 days. Um, 
can he realistically get this done and really push it through the Senate? Uh, let's put that question to you, Nate. Well, again, that's really up to the Republican Party. They have the power to filibuster in the Senate. And even though Democrats have a very clear mandate after the election, which they handedly won the presidency and then won the Senate and maintained their, their lead, their, their control of the House, uh, the Republican Party is very well known for its uh, its ability to act as the opposition party. They're, they're horrible at governance. Uh, they don't really get much done when they're in the government because they don't believe in government. But they are tremendous at stopping the Democratic Party from achieving its goals um, and, and actually governing. And so Joe Biden has actually has laid out a very clear plan. He wants to uh, expand health coverage, make it more affordable. He wants to offer a pathway to citizenship for, for millions of, of immigrants who are here and have been following the law since they've, they've arrived. Uh, he wants to uh, provide, provide more support for people uh, financially during this, this very difficult time. And he wants to raise taxes on the wealthy. And he's made it, it, it's very clear support among Americans for those policies because he won running on those policies. He won running on all those executive orders he signed yesterday. And so now it's up to the Republican Party to accept that America wants governance, they want leadership. Are they going to allow the Democrats to do their jobs and work with them, or are they just going to continue to obstruct and use the filibuster and abuse it? I'll go to you, uh, Addy, in a second, but Robert, does uh, Nate's answer convince you? Well, I mean, you know, I want all of those things, too. And I think, you know, uh, a lot of people want a, a lot of those things. But I, I still don't know if we've had enough hindsight here to look at if this election was... Uh, a pro-Biden uh, election that that he won, um, or if this was an anti-Trump uh, election, and and so I, I think we have a lot of uh, soul searching still to do, and and I think we have a lot more uh, temperatures to take out there. If if people just didn't want Donald Trump for a second term, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're uh, in line with everything that Joe Biden wants. And so I think it is going to take that time. Uh, for us to to not just take the temperature of Joe Biden, but the rest of, of the United States and to see uh, if those those changes are actually going to happen and what immigration policy really looks like and what health care really looks like. I mean, it's great to say we want um, better health care, but I think we just haven't had the time yet to understand uh, the specifics of what that looks like for, for Joe Biden. Adi, you've heard uh, a lot said there, but um, Nate really mentioned... Uh that Republicans would really thwart, oppose the Democrats' uh, initiatives. Yeah, so in the Senate, uh, as mentioned prior, there is a 50-50 split uh, in the Senate. In fact, I uh, was in Georgia during the runoff elections uh, that were not in favor of the Republicans, uh, but I did hear uh, people jokingly say it might have even benefited the Biden presidents if we had one, because he would have at least been able to blame Mitch McConnell. But in this case, he cannot do that. And I think that he will be able to work with people within his own party uh, to be able to move the agenda of the party. But we don't know what exactly that's going to be. I think that's a great point to make. When we saw him on the campaign trail, he was uh, spending more time uh, away from the camera than typically you would see from a presidential nominee of a major party. Uh, while Donald Trump, of course, was campaigning, doing five, six rallies a day. And so there wasn't a direct communication necessarily the way that you would normally have thought. And the next 100 days uh, are still yet to be seen. And I think that another thing to note is that uh, there are many people in the Biden administration who have been selected to be in the cabinet and for high-level posts, of course, uh, that came from the Obama administration, many Obama, Obama alumni that uh, you would mention have a lot of experience, but for the people 
uh, in the states, the American people, the voters, what they see is another extension of the Obama-era policies and people that are coming from the Obama era that are going to continue to extend and push the agenda that was put forth for those eight years. And uh, according to the 2016 election, that was considered unpopular. Is it, Nate, is it an extension of uh, the Obama era? Uh, that's, that's yet to be determined, but I would hope it was. The Obama era was incredibly successful for America. Uh, we saw, we, we, we pulled us out of an economic recession and brought us to economic stability, which Trump actually benefited from. He, he inherited a fantastic economy from Obama. You can literally look at a graph that just shows steady progression of growth, starting with Obama's presidency and, and continuing to Trump's. Uh, he also uh, provided health care to an additional 25 million Americans who didn't have it. So Obama was a pretty successful time, and I don't think the 2016 election was a referendum on Obama, more so a referendum on Hillary, and a, who was actually the candidate at the time, um, and a reflection of the populist radical uprising within the Republican Party, which is, I think it's funny that we haven't heard a lot about tonight, but is actually, you know, probably makes up about half of the party now is dominated by extreme radical Trumpism. Um, that's not really healthy. Um, and we, we do know what Joe Biden's going to do. He's outlined it very clearly what he's going to do over the next 100 days. He's going to, uh, as I mentioned, provide additional health care, provide more economic support. Um, and he has health. He, unlike uh, Donald Trump, he actually has a health care plan. We're still waiting for Donald Trump's health care plan. Okay. It's been more than two weeks. Um, Nate, I wanted to stay with you and uh, speak about COVID uh, because I saw your tweet. You said Joe Biden is doing more to fight uh, COVID on his first day in office. And Trump did all of last year. Do you really think that he can reach his goal of vaccinating 100 million Americans in his first 100 days in office? I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to make a, a prediction. I think it's certainly it's certainly achievable based on the fact that he has actual experienced individuals working for him and not his family or Goldman Sachs executives or the, you know, the, the person who is the most loyal to him. Uh, Joe Biden has built an actual administration with actual people who worked and have experience working government before. So if any administration can do it, it is his. Donald Trump dramatically failed to achieve his goal. He he set a goal, I think, I believe, of you know 100 million vaccinations and only had about uh, two million or so. Um, but what we have right now is a president that is actually going to use the full power of the federal government to solve these problems and isn't going to shy away from them. Donald Trump refused to wear a mask for, for months. He downplayed the threat of the virus for pretty much his entire presidency, continuing to promise it was over. He really told the states that it was on them. Well, guess what? The, the budget that the states have to fight the pandemic is about one one-hundredth of what the federal government has. The federal government has the entire CDC. It has the military. It has entire resources at its disposal that really weren't being used to fight this pandemic because the government was either too incompetent okay. or incapable of doing it. Um, Robert, can Biden turn the COVID uh, tragedy, those grim milestones, more than 400,000 dead, uh, the highest caseload in the world, can he turn that around? Well, you know, I, I, I also don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're going to have to, to see. He certainly, uh, he certainly has the, the infrastructure as, as we just talked about. You know, and, and not to be unfair to you, but I do, I do just want to say kind of one, one thing here. As, as I'm not advocating for, uh, you know, Trump or, or Biden, I, I do think that one of the major challenges that we have in communicating about COVID and communicating about politics, um, 
uh, and who Joe Biden is or isn't, is, is really being influenced maybe more by technology companies today than by the politicians uh, themselves. And, you know, Donald Trump now doesn't have the amplification that that rallied and, and angered so many Americans. Um, and, and I think that, but they have Parler, they have lots of other new technology platforms that, that are coming out. And I, and I think we need to be concerned about um, the anger that really did come from uh, come come to light in the 2016 election uh, that was anger directed certainly at Hillary Clinton, but but anger about the Obama administration um, and and the liberalism that that many of us see as as a good thing, but also as a threat to whiteness and a threat to to. Um, to, to many Americans. So I think now the communication channels look different. We, we don't necessarily have voices coming through that are going to be opposed to, to Joe Biden if they're being censored by, by technology companies. So we're in a completely different communication landscape here uh, than we were for the 2016 election and how we, you know, how COVID is dealt with, how uh, the presidency is critiqued or criticized or celebrated is going to look very different going forward now because technology okay. companies are making decisions about what what's hate speech, what are lies and what, what truth is. And we have to also get a handle as Americans about if that's a good thing or not. So it's a, it's a completely different landscape in terms of communication. And, and I think that that's going to, be one of those uh, okay. areas where Joe Biden can either uh, succeed or fail. Adi, you have the last word. Your hopes. Um, do you think Biden can turn around the really dire situation the US finds itself in with COVID? I really hope that our country can move forward from COVID after we are able to implement this vaccine. I think there are a lot of steps that have been taken even during the Trump administration's time that will hopefully be moved forward by the Biden administration so that we can reopen the economy in many states where there are people that are still suffering in that regard also. I think that's something to especially consider. But I will note uh, yesterday when I was watching the first ever press conference uh, for, the, uh, for the White House, for the new White House, a lot of the questions that were asked, uh, for, for many of them, uh, the pivot was to COVID-19 and the conversation about COVID-19. Uh, that was a good thing in that they're making it a priority. That was also something for me to think about and that they used it as a punting tool to only focus on that and nothing else. And so I'm curious to see if they're able to do more than just that. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Gentlemen, thank you so much, uh, all of you. Nate Lerner, Adi Sadi, and Robert Gucci, thank you for coming on The Newsmakers today. And thank you, our audience, for watching. See you next time on The Newsmakers. Bye-bye.